Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. In case you missed it, we did a middle uh, of the finals conversation video up exclusively on our YouTube channel, going over everything up through Game 3. Now, we're taping this on Friday the 9th, ahead of Game 5, and the series could likely be over by the time you listen to this show. So... Our special guest, Jacob Birkenshaw from the Overstated NBA podcast, is going to help us do a little more of a deep dive on the series as a whole. And, and Jacob, I'll start with this. I'll get you right in here. Do you think the series actually ends with a tribute to Kobe Bryant, Game 5 win in the Black Mama jerseys? Well, that's a hell of a question, actually. I think that's uh, damn good because um, I didn't think about it until you asked, but knowing how they are i think it's it's on high alert i think you've got to be leaning into the whole for kobe of this to really galvanize a laker fan base that's probably not feeling a huge affinity yet for the team given the lack of homegrown talent i mean i've seen laker fans say that they most associate with caruso and kyle kuzma so it might be a bit of a kind of cynical or calculated take but (laughs) I think a large part of it will be based on what Kobe means to the fan base and these guys, but him and LeBron have never really had a relationship like that, as far as I can tell. I mean, Woj was talking about their relationship has always been quite icy because LeBron has never wanted to take on the little brother role, and Kobe's always wanted that for LeBron, the way he had it with Jordan. So I would have my cynical hat on if we get a kind of LeBron speech about Kobe the same way we did after Kobe's unfortunate passing. Do you think, do you think they win this game though? Game five, knowing that they're going to be in those jerseys, knowing that this is their mission. This is what they came here to do. Do you think they get it done? Or do you heat? Do you think the heat can actually pull out a game five win? I mean, the heat can definitely they can, but I would lean towards LA for this. Although interesting stat. I mean, you know, you have me on here for the stats. If um, LA do win tonight, they will become only the third team to win the championship in 20 or fewer games since they went to a 7-7-7-7 series schedule. Those were the 2007 Spurs and the 2017 Warriors, the only teams to win it in this many games. So it would be a hell of an achievement if they do, but they are fully capable of doing that tonight. Yeah, in case anyone doesn't know Jacob or hasn't listened to his show yet. Um, He is a huge numbers guy. He's the resident statistician for the the Facebook group. And I will certainly plug that if anybody wants to be a member, you can just look up the overstated Facebook group um, over on social media, but his his partners, Brett Usher, Steve Sabatini, Jacob brings all of the calculations and all of that into play. So I'm ecstatic and I'm excited to have him on here for that reason. He's probably going to teach me something on this show. Absolutely. So um, for that purpose, I wanted you to, to go through some of the numbers you found interesting from the series as a whole, because w- when I look at things and, and even when Kevin and I ran through a lot of the stats through the first three games and even um, throwing in game four, this hasn't been as lopsided as three to one might indicate um, as far as an advantage for the Lakers. So what have you personally seen from any film and, and tell the audience about some of the numbers that you might have found interesting in your opinion that tell the story of what's happened here? So um, when I saw this one, the first thing I thought, first table set, kind of how did we get here? So Miami's offense has been remained excellent in this final series despite the Dragic and Bam losses, which I think really speaks to the versatility of their offense. And they have been consistently great against everyone in the playoffs from Indiana. They were excellent, obviously, Milwaukee, excellent, Boston, excellent. That hasn't really changed regardless of who's come in and out of the lineup. But by the same token, their defense has actually kind of fallen apart as they face tougher and tougher opposition. They throttled Indiana and Milwaukee were kind of average to underwhelming against Boston and now are kind of shitting the bed against the Lakers. (laughs) And obviously that's partly down to Bam being out, but Mm -hmm. also the limitations of some of their key rotation pieces on defense. And I think 
that's also kind of why they play zone. I think that's why Spo leans into the zone to try to cover for some of the deficiencies in their rotation. Whereas when I look at the Lakers, their offense has really exploded in the playoffs. No one can really stop them. They, they, they came in from the regular season as quite a run-of-the-mill offensive team, slightly above average with a stellar defense. Their offense has just, just blown teams off the floor against you know Denver and Houston, teams not known for their defense, but the Lakers have still outperformed what they should be doing. And they've been as a consistent on defense as you can expect from this team. Even against teams like Denver and Miami, they've been excellent. They've held them to about what their regular season averages are. And what that's telling me coming into this is that the Lakers are a legitimate finals team in a, in a historical context. While Miami, probably if we put them into a historical context, they're more like a very strong conference level team, like a team you would look to get to the conference finals or be beaten in the semifinals by the team that got to the finals kind of thing. With that being said, I actually think 3-1 is a fair result at this point when you think that the options are a 2-2 series, a 3-1 series or a 4-0 series. Of those, I think 3-1 is the fairest result. Um, LA is absolutely annihilating Miami on the boards on both ends, like destroying them. And they're shooting better from three on higher volume, which I would never have bet on before this series started <laughs> that my that Miami would be getting outshot in volume and percentage by LA. And even though true shooting does favor Miami, they're taking six less shots per game at this point. So it's all feeds into why if this goes six games, I would be surprised. And I think right now 3-1 is probably the result I would think is quite fair. Well, you 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 were just talking a lot about the the Miami defense being obliterated by the the Lakers offense. And 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 I'm glad we can kind of segue into the topic of defense because I, I wanted to stick with the heat here. Now I personally I, I'm not a fan of zone defenses for a variety of reasons, but mainly because I feel like they're an accident waiting to happen when you actually go up against intelligent players like LeBron James, who has a sense of timing and can break into the zone and, and pass out at any given moment. And when Miami has actually gone the man coverage and actually had guys like Jimmy and Bam face guard the Lakers best players, they found much more success and really only get caught when LA forces the switch of, of Tyler and Duncan onto one of AD or LeBron. Although Duncan has been holding his own more and more as we've gone through the playoffs, that's definitely been an area where he's improved. Um, defensively, Jacob, what what can you personally attribute to what LA has been able to do offensively as far as crack Miami's defense? Do you, do you attribute it to more of a the the physical mismatch that Kevin and I have have certainly referenced in previous podcasts? Do you uh, attributed more to the the offensive schemes that Frank Vogel's been able to put in place with the Lakers? Is it just the fact that uh, LeBron and AD are just that damn good? I mean, <laughs> what, what what do you attribute it to? And do you think defensively that there's anything else Miami could possibly try to do to mix it up or, or is kind of their main option just about executing the best that they can one-on-one? -on -one? I think you hit on most of the key points there. I mean, you put LeBron... In the zone like the only game i actually watched live because obviously i'm in london and the games are on at silly o'clock for me on the the game two i watched live and seeing obviously now bam had gone down seeing lebron just kind of sit on the nail in that zone and they mm -hmm. just kind of they were just throwing the ball into him and he was just like a turret just spinning and hitting the open shooter and yeah like you're right against the zone against a guy like lebron he is built to tear this down he's too big too strong too quick and too intelligent for his own defense but at the same time with the personnel miami had i don't know what else they can really do i mean you're right duncan hasn't been a traffic cone that some people i would i expected mm -hmm. duncan Robinson to be a bit of a traffic cone going into this um tyler hero maybe a little bit more than we expect but it, it, it's their first time really it's their first rodeo I mean, unless you are someone like Matisse Thybulle, I would not expect a rookie or at least a playoff rookie to be very good on defense. So I think they're kind of, you know, they, they're too young. They, they, uh, they need more experience at this level. When you get into a seven-game series, it's a completely different game than just a regular season. And I think that's some of the limitations we're seeing physically. You're right, I think 
there are just limitations they have. Bam and Jimmy and Jay and even Iggy still to a extent are excellent defenders. But Tyler and Duncan are key parts of their rotation. And I think they are too young. Uh, they're facing, obviously, go on, yeah. Okay. No, I, I I was just gonna say that I mean they're they're going up against grown men, right? Like every everywhere you look around, I mean the 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 Morris, um, LeBron, AD, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Danny Green. These are guys who have been there, done that. They're just so much more physically mature that I I mean you could tell you 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 hit the nail right on the head as well when you talked about the rebounding advantage for the Lakers. That has been to me the only true outlier and, and the true huge statistical difference really that I've noticed. And, and we could get into some of the three point shooting. I, I think a lot of that ha has been an aberration. Some of these Lakers guys, I mean, when you got the first few games, you had Caruso like going off from deep uh, more, uh, the, the more Morris game three and game four. I mean, he was really a big clutch option for them down the stretch. I mean, how much are you really going to get out of those guys to be bombing threes and nailing them at the consistency that they have been over Miami. Um, as, as you and, and Brett and Steve have talked about through the playoffs here um, and even through the regular season, you pointed out how great of a three-point shooting team they are, and they truly are stacked in that area offensively. But I, I think one thing that definitely comes into play, and, and you'll probably agree with this point and feel free to expand upon it, is I was having a conversation with somebody the other night about Duncan Robinson um, just be in some of those other shooters like Jay Crowder, they're a little too trigger happy, right? When they first catch the ball, they, they, their, their mindset is they want to gun it from deep and they want to get that shot off. They don't really want to have to dribble and create. And to, to a certain extent, depending on the matchup, that's not the worst of ideas because you have guys who are there to play a certain role. They know what they're supposed to be doing and they don't try to force and, and do too much. That's something I've respected from Miami. That's something I've respected from Boston during the course of the playoffs when they had their great run um, and some of the other teams here. And, and I respect that, but at the same time, when they do want to pull the trigger too early and they don't know how to pass out of some of those actions, they're trying to take a dribble, they're trying to get their shot up, and then they're passing in the air, and that's just like a no-no for great defensive mm -hmm. teams like the Lakers and guys who are much more um, well-disciplined. So, uh, again, that, that, that physical mismatch, that forcing guys to, not, to, to act out of character because they, they aren't built to drive into a defense like the Lakers, that's absolutely contributed to a lot of their struggles. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. It's a matter of maturity, and it's a matter of it being for a lot of these guys their first time. I mean, the fact that Bam is doing this in his first real playoff run just speaks to how talented he is. But you're right; they are not once you once you're having to make decisions that aren't instinctive, and you don't have that kind of that um, inbuilt experience, that kind of vocabulary in the half court in a playoff series. You're right, they start making these silly mistakes where they will drive into nowhere and then they have to pick up their dribble and suddenly, you know, the LA defense has reset and they're having to, they're just killing time on the clock and it certainly hurt them and it speaks to how good the team is and how well coached they are by Spo that even that hasn't really badly affected their offensive ability in this. But I think part of that is Butler taking the reins because he has been mm -hmm. spectacular in this series maybe the best player overall in the series i don't think that's out of the question it, it's not out of the question it, it really is one of those situations where if, if they could if they could pull out a win in game five and you're going into game six and, and even if the lakers still close it out it, it's one of those situations you could make the argument the finals mvp was on the the losing team and that's certainly been done in the past Le lebron absolutely had that argument um, when, when the Warriors stole one of those championships and, and, and won it from them. Um, that, so that argument could be made. I, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Jimmy's been spectacular, and that's another um, great segue when we stick with some of the numbers here. I think one of the main topics that we wanted to touch on was the, the, the whole defensive side of the ball. But um, another one is Jimmy's finals performance. And many evaluators, as we mentioned earlier um, this week on, on the video, had pegged Bam as the best player on this Heat team and the most important guy coming into the series for Miami. But I disagreed then, and I think the majority certainly would now. 
Um, just to go over some of what Jimmy's been doing, 27.5 points per game, 55% shooting from the field, 89% from the free throw line, 10 assists, 7.8 rebounds per game, with a true shooting percentage of 65.7% without even being a threat from three and, and being used, still being used 28% of the time in his team's offense. I mean, he's quite literally done everything but shoot the ball from deep. And he's kept the heat afloat when when other guys like Hero and Robinson have struggled with the physicality of the Lakers defense, as we mentioned. So, Jacob, what's impressed you the most about Jimmy kind of grabbing the reins here through this finals run? And, and is he sort of spitting in the face of some evaluators that think as a point guard, you have to be able to shoot from deep to succeed on the floor as a floor general? Because that that's what he's been. He's been the orchestrator, and he's almost eliminated the need to shoot with range on a regular basis because of the variety of ways he can score from inside the arc. Well, I mean, you are in our Facebook group. I've certainly been doing a victory lap during this <laughs> final this playoff run because I had Jimmy on my second team All-NBA and he has at least been a fringe top 10 player for me for the past three or four since he was in Chicago. To be honest, maybe the second to last year in Chicago or the last year in Chicago. He has been on the bubble, you know, ninth, 10th best player in the league for me. I think... With everyone healthy, he might drop out of that top 10 with, you know, KD and Steph healthy. But this hasn't surprised me at all because I have always believed in Jimmy. I've always thought he's a winner. He's an excellent, excellent all-round player. And he's such a unique blend of talent plus work ethic and that grit and grind and insanity that you need to be an amazing player with the talent level that he has. Because, you know, he's not, he's not more physically gifted than someone like Andrew Wiggins. Mm -hmm. But he's much better than them because he's so strong and so crafty and so determined to get to his spots i mean some of like his some of his like little floaters that he's throwing up these little kind of baby hooks he's throwing up they're so flat as well like i don't understand how so how they're not blocking them but he's so strong and he just finds an angle which is why i'm not really concerned about the lack of shot from him because you're right he's such a good floor general i mean of that kind of top tier of wings, you know, like a LeBron, KD, Kawhi, PG, etc. Those kind of the top five to 10 mm -hmm. wing players in the NBA, which Butler, even his naysayers will say Butler has been a part of that for the past few years. I think he's probably the second best playmaker next to LeBron out of that lot. Maybe you would argue KD has been because of his scoring, puts a strain on the defense more than Butler. That's fine. But I think as a passer, as a playmaker, Jimmy Butler is the second best of that lot. And when you combine that with his other abilities, yeah, I don't see why he has to shoot. I'm not really, even though I'm very much into analytics, I'm not really the type of person that thinks that shooting is a prerequisite. Pre I can't even say the words. A prerequisite for being an amazing floor general. general. I think Ben Simmons and Giannis can both do it as well if they had a modicum of the mental edge that butler has i think they could do this as well i think there are a lot of players i think we get kind of we try to see you know the um the forest for the trees in this situation where we start to think right you have to fit this exact model of a player to work when that's not the case you need to take the player as they are their strengths and weaknesses and try to see what works for them maximizing their talents and I think Butler in Miami is a match made in heaven. And he's really kind of, he's, they have synthesized into something beautiful here. Yeah. And th that's a great point that, that, that you bring up about Jimmy, um, that, that whole top 10 argument and, and not to stray too far away from the finals here, but I think it's an important conversation to have is that that's absolutely an open discussion uh, among fans, among evaluators, among front office personnel as what, what, what kind of, makes a top 10 or, or like a top handful of uh, players in the league well what separates them from the other guys and i think probably the biggest thing that that i've certainly undervalued and i'm willing to eat some crow and, and kevin I, i'm sure you're gonna jump in if we start talking about playoff p uh paul, paul george because i've absolutely had him as a top 10 guy kind of in that 10 spot, mainly because what I think he can do scoring the ball, I think he's a little more versatile as far as a one-on-one -on -one shot creator and shot maker. But I've undervalued Jimmy Jimmy Butler's IQ and not only his IQ in terms of recognizing plays from, from that floor general perspective, 
but also just having the guts to actually just sometimes recognize, hey, I might be able to do this for somebody else, but I also have this mismatch right here, and I'm just going to go out and do it. Like, how many times have we probably yelled at LeBron when we're watching a game of his where he has a guard on him that he could absolutely take into the post, and he chooses to to sometimes dribble it out like James Harden and settle for a contested jump shot or or for a three when he could have absolutely just bullied somebody down in the post, taken him inside, and probably gotten a much easier bucket or attempts from the free throw line. And obviously, he's not the best free throw shooter. That's a different argument for a different day, potentially. <laughs> but... I mean, J- Jimmy's just willing to, to get it out of the mud and just do what needs to be done. Like, how, how many times are we seeing him pass up when he has somebody like Hero on him? He's bullying that guy. He's taking him into the post, and he's getting it done, drawing the foul, and doing what he needs to do. And that obviously sets the table for the rest of his playmaking. But I don't know if you if you agree on that or want to expand upon that point, Jacob, but just his willingness to go do what needs to be done whether you want to call that a skill or or not, that certainly warrants him possibly pushing into that top 10 conversation and and being firmly in there as you've alluded to. I mean, it's definitely a, um, a key part of that kind of that ability to dig deeper because as I, I've, I mean, I've heard quite a few people like um, Windhorse talking about um, LeBron, obviously you want to get some quotes on LeBron. He's probably the person to go to, Mm -hmm. to get a puff piece, but um, he's often (laughs) said that, um, LeBron will take those shots as a kind of energy saving tool. Same with guys like Kawhi. They will take those kind of those contested threes. Those you're right, that James Harden dribble, 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 take a step back, three, it clangs off the rim, jog back on defense because it wastes the possession, but it also allows them to save their energy for those key moments where they know they'll have to carry the team on offense and defense. Jimmy doesn't really worry about that. He just he just does it. He just, I mean, that game three performance was an all-time level fast performance from Jimmy on both ends. I mean, I, I have a kind of database of fast performances from all kind of positions going back to the merger. And Jimmy is on track to put up like a top 10, top 15 fast performance from a shooting guard since the merger. That's the level he's playing at right now. You know, guys like jordan and kobe and wade he's had he's having a similar kind of level to them and i think you're right that some people have undervalued some of the more intangible things about jimmy's game because i think of someone like carl anthony towns or ben simmons or joel Embiid. these guys are far more talented than jimmy butler is they are so they are natural prenatal talents for basketball mm-hmm. and there's a very good argument that they might never reach the level Jimmy Butler is at right now, just through that level of determination that Butler shows day in, day out. And that you're right, that's um I don't think that's something that people really take on board enough in their these discussions about is player X a top ten player, a top twenty player? Because talent wise, Brett made this point on our pod that Jimmy Butler might not be one of the top fifty most talented people in the NBA. And I think it's it's incredibly correct. I, I think Jimmy would even say that as well. I think he would he would say he's not one of the fifty most talented players in the NBA, but I bet he believes he's a top ten player in the NBA. Oh, you 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 know for sure he believes he's a top ten player in the NBA, and he's he's one of those guys I could absolutely see him coming out on the right day after. Um, one of his glasses of wine that he's had with, with Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade <laughs> saying that he's probably the best in the league. He he certainly has that confidence about him, but it, it, it's not just an arrogance. He he truly believes in, in what he does, and he has that same level of confidence and belief in the guys around him, and that's why he he's absolutely willing to go out there and make plays for others and have the game where he's only having, you know, having 10 or 12 points, but He's racking up the assists. He's going out there doing what he needs to do defensively, shutting somebody down one-on-one. And that, that willingness to just do what, whatever it takes to win, that is that is so undervalued. I admittedly undervalue it in my evaluation of guys. When, when I try and do like a top 10 ranking or a top 25 ranking, I try and base it as much on skill and talent as possible. But it's impossible to do that because you need the other things to be a great player in the league. You, you need what Jimmy's bringing to the table and, and with his intangibles. And, and, and I agree on, on all of that completely. And it's just, it, it's impressive. It really is impressive what he's doing 
to carry his team. I can't I can't say in, enough good things uh, about Jimmy Butler right now. It's it's a shame. Kevin and I were we're from the Philadelphia area, so um, having to see him basically oh. poo poo all over the Philadelphia 76ers and wave goodbye um, as he wanted to go down to Miami and ultimately he got what he wanted, but. It, it, it's so sad when you see that there are other places that weren't willing to adapt their cultures and adapt their style of play and their game more to what he wanted to do because sure he has a standard, but it's never a bad thing to have a standard. And he brought that down to Miami and those guys were willing to buy in and they're playing well around them. And in turn, he's doing whatever he possibly can and he's sacrificing himself for the benefit of everyone else. And I really wish other guys would have seen that in some of his other stops. But then again, maybe we wouldn't be getting this Miami experience right now. Oh, exactly. We um yeah, I think I I echo. I mean, I I'm maybe when you talk about talent evaluation as a kind of looking at skill sets, I think I'm totally also fall into that trap. Like I I, I have to stop myself from saying that Carl Anthony Towns is a top eight player in the NBA every time I look at it, just because I look at the skill set and I think there's absolutely no way you're not a superstar. But then you look at the intangibles and he's not. And they're intangibles because we can't measure them. And that kind mm -hmm. of pisses me off as a stats guy that you can't measure this. You just have to kind of look at the effect it has. And you're right. You look at where he's gone and you look at kind of the discussions like when JJ Reddick was talking to him and when they have those conversations on Reddick's podcast and I listen to the way he talks, I'm like, you can tell who the hard worker is, who the person is, who you want to set the tone for your organization. And it's not these other superstars. It's someone like Jimmy Butler who goes to work, puts in the hours. And yeah, he sacrifices for these players. He's not a diva. Like he obviously has a very high opinion of himself, mm -hmm. but he he's getting in the mud. He's getting in the trenches with these other players, with guys like Duncan Robinson, who haven't built up nearly the level of respect in the league and Butler is willing to sacrifice for those, the ninth, 10th man on the team. And that sets a tone for your organization. And that's so invaluable. You look at everywhere he's gone from in Chicago. The last time they were a relevant team in the playoffs was with Butler. The best Minnesota team since Kevin Garnett was with Butler. The, the closest Philly got in the whole process to getting to the finals was with Butler. And now with Miami, like, that's all circumstantial evidence, but it adds up to this idea that wherever you go, good things follow you, even if you ruffle feathers. Yeah, and, and, and everything that, that you and I just talked about with Jimmy, I really hope anyone out there who, who is a young player who um, is trying to certainly improve their skill sets to get to another level to maybe possibly have a chance to make it in the NBA, I really hope anybody out there who might be down that kind of a path is listening to everything we're saying about Jimmy because he he never had anything handed to him. He had to work for everything that he's gotten, and he's proven that he's one of the most valuable commodities an, an NBA team can have, both intangibly and skill-wise. But um, there may not be a more important intangible in this final series than wanting to get out of that bubble. And that's <laughs> what is motivating LeBron. That's probably what's motivating Anthony Davis. And I, I'm sure that's obviously been a contributing factor to the stat lines that they've been putting up and the performances that they've had in some of these games. Sure, some have been underwhelming, at, uh, at least on AD side, that, that game three where he was in foul trouble that wasn't his best performance. But, I mean, those first two games, the fact that he came back out in game four and, and, and did what he did, again, tr proving himself that he is a defensive anchor for that team, whether he's doing it down in the paint. I, I wanted to get your thoughts because I think it's been very interesting how Anthony Davis said that he needed to go out there and guard Jimmy because he just needed to do it for his team. I, I don't know that having him on the perimeter defensively all the time is your best option because the Lakers have been at their best all year long when he's been patrolling the paint being able to give call-outs for, for everybody else and recognize rotations because Anthony Davis is a smart dude. He is an incredibly bright basketball player, and, and he recognizes, at least defensively, probably about as much as LeBron does. So having, him, having both of them really as quarterbacks of the defense when they're motivated and when they're up to the challenge, I mean, that's been as important for them as anything else. So what, what are your thoughts about 
him being used more on the perimeter, I guess technically on both ends. And how has it benefited L.A.? And, and how has it also been a hindrance um, to them and a benefit for Miami? Because I actually think that's been more of the case up until just very recently some of the end of Game 4. Well, I think that um, because of actually kind of Dwight is able to unlock some of that NAD because mm-hmm. you're right, that back line of AD and LeBron is like as help defenders has really made like guys like KCP and Caruso's life so easy because that might be the strictest when LeBron buys in on defense like he has this year. He is borderline all defensive level. He's so intelligent. He's so physically gifted still in year 17 or whatever it is. You put those two together, they just patrol that area and just it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. But I think actually AD's perimeter defense, I think you're understanding it a little. I think he is a very, very strong perimeter defender for having also like you say the paint protection that he has i think that really sets him apart from maybe guys like gobert and Embiid and these other kind of high high level defensive centers in the mold of some previous ones like a say dikembe mutombo i think what really separates anthony davis is his ability to step out on the perimeter and also to see plays developing as they're happening he's very smart jumping passing lanes and i think he's making a solid case right now that he is the best defensive player in the world i would have gone with Giannis all year but once we get into these playoff scenarios i think the problem is we also once we're into the regular season we forget that the playoffs are what really matters and then we get to the playoffs and we go oh yeah this is the actual season that we care about this is when the best players in the world look like the best players in the world and i think that's what ad's been doing and I'm not sure there's much. I think sticking AD on Butler may have been the deciding factor in this series. I think that may have turned it. If Miami thought game three, they could start to climb back into it. I think that was the deciding factor for me, that this series is not going to go that much longer. I, I think maybe maybe two years ago, LeBron probably would have just flat out guarded Butler the entire series and we we probably wouldn't have seen that individual adjustment having AD more on on Jimmy is kind of like a one-on-one matchup I think AD would have absolutely stayed um, a little more closer to the basket at, at, at all times but not not that I necessarily undersell his ability to guard on the perimeter that is, that is what separates him is the fact that he is so mobile and he can be in so many different places at once on the floor. You mentioned guys like Gobert and Embiid. Not not to slander anybody, but they they wish they could move like Anthony Davis. I mean that that's <laughs> that's what sets him apart, and that's what set him apart coming out of college and evaluating him a, a, as a prospect was his his special special athleticism for a guy his size. To that that rapid growth spurt that he had in in high school, he obviously that that led to him having a lot of these guard skills and what he can do playmaking wise and and being able to get a bucket when he needs to. Um, that that also attributes to him being comfortable running the floor, moving around, guarding multiple guys. I mean, he had to do a lot of that stuff when he was a smaller player. So having that level of comfort, um, ha- having being being able to make that mental adjustment, that that absolutely speaks to what he can do on the court and how valuable he can be defensively as a whole. And and I agree with your sentiment about him being the best defensive player in the world. I, if, if I had votes, I would have had LeBron as MVP. I would have had Anthony Davis as the defensive player of the year. Um, coach of the year, I probably would have still given that to, to Nick Nurse. I think he's done an incredible job this year in Toronto. But those would have been my two awards, guys. I would have absolutely given it, uh, both of those, to the Los Angeles Lakers because I think what LeBron did – from an, an overall standpoint, galvanizing an entirely different team, keeping them motivated all year long, keeping them hungry, eyes on the prize, and in turn turning in. Um, I, I know we, we can kind of paint him as a point guard through a lot of his career because he generally has the ball in his hands and he's generally making a lot of decisions on the floor, but literally being that team's point guard, um, taking everything uh, uh, under his wing and then having Anthony Davis to kind of man the paint and, and and call out everything and get guys situationally where they need to be defensively. I think that combination has been special and and they are really earning and, and in a lot of ways rightfully deserve to win the championship this year. Yeah, I think we've seen once they've gotten into the playoffs, 
how hard it is for teams to game plan against them and their versatility. Like you say, LeBron is playing point guards. I mean, two years ago, you're right. He probably would have just taken Butler. He That game three, game four, I mean, performance from AD probably would have been LeBron's job mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And now he is definitely picking his spots a lot more, even in the playoffs. He will used to be, you know, you get to the playoffs, maybe you get to round two and he is balls to the wall all the way through. He is playing those next 20 games as hard as he possibly can because he knows he's going to, you know, jog on for the next regular season. It's not that big an issue, but now he is definitely minding his body a lot more. Mm-hmm. But he has AD to take on that role. And AD, I think I've been of the opinion that AD is a top five player in the league for the past few years now. I think he gets undervalued slightly because he is atypical in the modern NBA for what we expect a top five top 10 level player to be he is not an on-ball player he is an off-ball player he needs to you want him as the lob threat you want him cutting you want him taking you know spotting up at the three-point line to space out he has so much in terms of offensive ability but he is not a lead ball handler and he has so much in terms of defensive ability but defense is obviously so hard to measure and a lot of people don't consider it but I think in terms of impact Anthony Davis has been a top five player in the league and LeBron has definitely leaned on that. I think you're right. And kind of leaned into what LeBron can bring and bring out of AD. Because that's something I think we're kind of, it's being overstated in this finals. Um, LeBron, I think he's kind of using AD as like, AD is an amazing tool. And LeBron is an incredible floor general and brain. But I don't think he's ever had a tool or a teammate like Anthony Davis on the floor that he can synergize with. I'm glad you mentioned that point about Anthony Davis and, and what he can do off the ball and how important he is in, in that regard, because what he does off the ball, the way he cuts to the basket, the way that he rolls to the basket, all of those quote unquote little ways in which he can get points other than having to just handle the ball and create his own shot that sets the tone for everyone else. And it says to the other players on the Lakers, it's okay to get a bucket like this. You don't have to be an isolation superstar or just pigeonholed as a corner three-point shooter to get looks and, and be important in the offense on this team. And that's, in a lot of ways, that's when some of these guys are at their best. Like, I don't want Caruso spotting up in the corner for like five or six three-pointers a game. <laughs> but when but when he's cut into the basket, again, that adds a level of motion and, and a level of movement to the offense that... When, when you have guys that are wired like that who are smart enough to recognize, hey, this is when I can make this cut. This is when I can do this. I'm not afraid to do it. This is how I'm going to help my team and get a basket. Those are the kind of plays that change games and catch a younger team like Miami, even though they've been so good and so coordinated defensively. You can still catch a young guy off guard with, with a quick and timely cut, stuff like Caruso's doing, stuff like we've seen Rondo do for, for some of his baskets. Obviously, LeBron... People underrate how how good of a cutter he is and, and how well-timed of a cutter he is. That That is absolutely a way he gets buckets uh, all, all game long. It's not just the ISO stuff for him. It's not just dribble, dribble into a jump shot or drive into the basket. He does that same stuff. And the, the AD to LeBron connection has been incredibly special to, to watch this whole year and especially in the playoffs. And But before I kind of segue us into the, the, the last point or the last real topic that I want to touch on here in this podcast – your, your comment about Kuzma uh, defensively, all the people who want to slander the Lakers saying that they haven't had any meaningful player development in, in quite some time, that guy would not be competent defensively without the presence of Frank Vogel, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis helping him not only recognize how he can be used on, on defense, but how he can use his body and still be effective even when he loses sight of something just, just having them be able to, to call out and say, hey, look, next time this guy's cutting this way, you need to move your body this way. You need to shut off this angle. Just having those guys there willing to go through film with him and, and kind of like giving him those pep talks on the court to, defensively when, when he's missing some of those stuff. I mean, he's not getting that from, from a lot of other guys if he's on another team. He's probably not improving defensively the way that he has. And I'm not going to paint him as some amazing ball stopper, obviously, but just being competent enough to the point where he can stay on the court 
and contribute offensively to what we expect them to, that has been incredibly huge, especially down the stretch in game three and game four. No, I think I think you're right. I think that's actually been most of what has given him staying power in this team because he is kind of for this team. He's is he the young? I'm not sure if him or Caruso are the youngest player, kind of in this Laker rotation. But he is basically the youngest player in this Laker rotation, and I think a lot of what is sticking him. It's not his offense really because his offense has been at best average this whole run even from the regular season into the playoffs i mean when you have offensive engines like lebron and ad you don't really need kuzma's offense but i think having that guy who's what he's like six eight six nine two twenty something to play to lock in defensively even if he's not the most talented just to buy in like you say is so huge for a player to kind of stick in a solid rotation role and i think you're right that's what we're really seeing with kuzma now that he has bought in and he has been helped by he's been willing to take on that advice and been willing to take on that role and even though yeah you're right he's not the greatest defender in the world he probably will never even be a very very good defender but he is helping that team win and that's what's most important Kuzma is the youngest guy for for the Lakers getting run right now in the finals although Again, we're recording this before Game 5. If it's a blowout in Game 5 and Taylor Horton Tucker touches the floor for the <laughs> Lakers somehow, getting those garbage time minutes in, in, in Game 5, then then I guess Kuzma loses his spot there. But, um, but before we, we kind of end the show and, and wrap things up here, this is a draft-oriented podcast that ties back to, to player development. I'm glad we've been able to touch on a lot of those things throughout as far as evaluation and skill and, and talent development. As far as the future is concerned, Hero is set in my mind to be an absolute star in this league. I I think as long as he puts in the time in the weight room and comes back after the next few offseasons bigger and stronger than he did previously, I I don't really see as many concerns defensively as some might. They're obviously physical traits that you want a, a good to great defender to have. But the most important thing, along with IQ and being able to recognize different things defensively is determination right you have to have the will to play defense and and tyler has that he's competitive as all hell he's certainly an inspiration for young guys to watch on both ends of the floor because he's not scared of the moment and that's as important to have as any other trait you can think of so from a developmental perspective jacob uh what do you want to see tyler expand upon to take his game to the next level because i think a huge jump can happen rather quickly yeah i think i think you're right i mean i've I probably had Hero coming out of the regular season kind of as we went into lockdown back in March. I definitely had Hero borderline first team or rookie. Um, At this point, there's obviously no question. I mean, there's a non-zero percent chance he could end up as either the second best or best player out of this draft class. Depending on like him and Morant, I don't think he's ever going to overtake Morant. I think Morant has superstar written all over him but there's a very real chance that Hero ends up as the second best player out of this draft class and a multiple-time All-Star. Like, Brett pointed out on our pod, back back when the bubble started, how well Hero was navigating the pick-and-roll as a lead guard. I hadn't noticed it at the time. I hadn't really watched any Miami because I wasn't really focused on them. I thought they were a second-round-and-out team. Mm -hmm. Watching it, Hero is excellent in the pick-and-roll. It's for real, and I am really interested to see how he develops as a ball handler, as a playmaker, and as a finisher, because he already has every indicator you would want that he is on track to be a tier one shooter in the NBA, like Corva, Reddick, Clay kind of level shooter. He has that, and if you have that, it can unlock these other areas of your game. You know, guys have to push up on you, come around the pick and roll, which if you have a good kind of turn, round the screen that can expose them so quickly with that kind of shooting ability and his playmaking he's you know making these excellent dump off passes when he's when players are rolling for him I it's just kind of I want to see his finishing develop and I want to see his overall ball handling skill set develop but I agree that actually on defense I think he can improve a lot and you're right determination and effort are bigger deciders when you are quite a big guard, when you have 
you know, the physical tools to hang on defense. Like I think Hero is he's no he's no spectacular athlete in the NBA, but determination can help him to do that. And for really great offensive players, just getting to the point where you are not detrimental on defense is how you reach the next level mm-hmm. and become a real additive player in this league. I mean, you think Steph and Harden, um, they really, they are kind of these net zeros, maybe slight positives, slight negatives, but their defense never really takes away from the huge value they're bringing on offense, the way someone like maybe Lou Will does, who, you know, he gives up just as many points as he scores. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's that's why he is the sixth man. That's why someone like Kendrick Nunn, I think projects as like an average sixth man because he scores kind of well, but he's also a pretty bad defender. So you're ending up as kind of a net zero. You're not really moving the needle for good teams. And I think Hero is someone who can move the needle on great teams. I think there's a real possibility that he, by either next season or the season after, he is the best offensive player on this Miami team. I think that's a real, real possibility where him and Bam become this incredible tandem um, in terms of Bam's defense and playmaking ability to combine with heroes. You have the the kind of the basic foundation of a poor man's kind of Draymond and Steph between those two. Obviously, I don't want to really compare the, the two, but you see from a skill set standpoint, there are comparisons to make, especially with Bam, but hero shooting could unlock so much more from his game and yeah i am i'm maybe not as high on hero as you but i do think he could be a multiple time all-star in this league and i think he can be excellent well the the i i understand that kendrick nunn started a lot of games for the heat and he certainly found himself contributing throughout the regular season in multiple different spots for them especially scoring the basketball but the whole hero versus none thing in terms of where they should have been ranked in the all-rookie race to me that it's somewhat laughable and I know a lot of people don't agree that way that's why none was the third finalist for rookie of the year but when you when you just look at both players none's certainly been exposed in 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 the finals and I I think that that that's not an aberration that's going to continue and hero's going to continue to rise because you you mentioned and we can obviously nitpick some of the little things in terms of his ball handling and his playmaking. I don't know if he's going to end up being a point guard full time, but I think at the very least, he he obviously has a path as a secondary initiator. But yeah, all the weaknesses I see with him are just physically maturing. It, it, it's it's getting experience in the league. It's getting experience defensively, just being able to recognize certain things, see who he has to guard, what he's going to be going up against night in, night out for across an 82 game season and then playoff runs and physically maturing to the level of some of those other guys like we mentioned on the Lakers on on the other side. I really think that's the only main thing that's going to hold him back from from improving. And and I don't want to say that that sky's the limit. Maybe I shouldn't go that far in terms of calling him like an outright star, but I I, I, I he he is going to be a problem for, for years to come for, for, <laughs> for a lot of different teams. And it's exciting to watch him develop in these playoffs. It's exciting to watch guys like Duncan to develop different parts of their game in the playoffs. Bam's obviously taken a huge leap. The, the future of Miami is bright. They, they continue to draft well. They continue to sign the right guys. Will, will they steal Giannis from Milwaukee? Who knows? I don't necessarily want to be the hot take po- podcast, but th- that also speaks to how bright of a future they have. So um, I, I didn't ask you before I ask you about any other takeaways, but who do you have as finals MVP? You have LeBron or you have AD if the Lakers end up winning Ooh. it? See, from a numbers perspective, I think a lot of people would lean LeBron. When you look at basic numbers, you would mm-hmm. say, you know, LeBron is 28, 11, and 9. AD is 26, 9, and 3. But I think it's Anthony Davis right now. I think the numbers don't really speak to what's actually happening because yes, LeBron is out rebounding Anthony Davis, but that's because he's leaking out for LeBron James outlet passes from these rebounds. Like he's, he's not in positions to collect the rebounds because that's not what's optimal for the team. And he's, he's so hyper efficient. I mean, he's at like 71% true shooting and he has the highest offensive and lowest defensive rating for anyone in this series who has played more than 90 minutes through four games, 
on either team. And like that is that's unbelievable to have that. Even though those numbers in a four game sample are quite fuzzy, I think it really points to his two way impact. And as much as like I touched on earlier, I think LeBron is the engine of this team. He is the brain of this team. I think AD is the real difference maker. And I think he is the one who is really providing that edge for LA right now. And he's the one that um, Miami has no answer for. He's the one that, to be honest, no team has had an answer for. Denver hasn't. Houston, no one has been able to control Anthony Davis because you can't really do that, especially when he's off the ball and he's just kind of cutting and running. And he has this huge lob gravity because I think he, I think it's a very real possibility that Anthony Davis isn't just the best defender in the NBA and the world right now, but he is the best lob finisher maybe ever when you combine his ability, kind of his hands, his dexterity with his lob, his seven foot six wingspan and his athleticism. He just, he controls the game, the flow of the game in so many different ways without actually having the ball in his hands the way LeBron does. And yeah, I think he's the most impactful player on the floor right now. Neither is bad, by the way. Neither is a bad answer. I think that's- no, that's what that's what I was just gonna say. I'm not gonna fault anybody for for voting one way or the other. I I think personally, um, I would still go with LeBron. But you just made an incredibly compelling case for Anthony Davis, and and I said to anybody listening on this podcast that you were gonna teach me something at some point in this podcast, and you just gave me one hell of an argument for 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 AD, and you, now now you really got me leaning. We'll see what happens in Game Five, but. I don't know. Now, now I'm more on the fence as, as I, than I thought I would be coming into this. But um, a- any other takeaways you, you might have for, for anyone watching the finals from a developmental perspective? Any lessons you think can really be looked at through a lens and put on notice for, for guys coming into the draft or, or into certain situations from a team perspective? Well, I think the, one of the things is that, I mean, we know it all right now. Players, you need to accept your role and star in your role. Duncan Robinson has gotten meaningful time on the floor. Carl Kuzma has gotten meaningful time on the floor in a final series because they accept their role and they star in it. And this is what, you know, the guys coming through now, that's what they should be getting told by their coaches and by people around them that actually want to see them succeed from a very young age. Like, you know, if you told me coming into the year that Carl fucking Kuzma would be a (laughs) key piece of a final team and he's on there because of his defense i would have i would have laughed in your face and here mm-hmm. we are he's because he's bought into a role and that's kind of when you have those physical ability when you have the physical ability to play in the nba it really comes down to those intangibles and that willingness to buy in because 99.9% of nba players let alone human beings but nba players are not lebron james or anthony davis like you are a role player and you need to accept that and buy into that and star in that role that's you know that's a tale as old as time for player development from a from a team building standpoint i think it's we're seeing this kind of two very different ways to build a team i mean you have the la who's mortgaged their future and signed vet minimums was it bill simmons called them a mercenary title team which i think <laughs> is just it's just bill simmons way to kind of denigrate an la lakers title team you know he's talking all this like oh it's really their 12th title oh they're a mercenary team it's like shut up bill like this is it's because they're <laughs> claiming number 17 that's that's all he's worried about but you have that and you have like then in miami you have this grassroots movement with guys they've drafted or picked up as kind of rookie free agents like duncan robinson um obviously drafting bam and hero and picking up kendrick nunn and but then they've you know added to that with free agent acquisitions like Butler, who's kind of taken them over the top in that way, kind of similarly to how Toronto did last year, where it wasn't really a free agent, but, you know, they swapped DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi, changed nothing else, and they already had this amazing infrastructure in place from this grassroots movement of guys like OG and Siakam and Fred Van Vliet that was able to take them over the top. I think one is obviously much more sustainable than the other, but I think they've both shown that they're very valid ways to build a title team. I think from that team building perspective, we're seeing really a contrast, but that both of them done well can work. 
Are, are you sure you're not a scout? Are you, are you positive that you're not moonlighting somewhere else? Like you have, you have some secret scouting database that, that we don't know about that you've been putting into work for for years because that that was an impressive so, soliloquy and I, I I'm glad that you gave that and I'm even more glad now that I've had you on because that was important to to be said for for anyone out there any evaluators out there any prospects looking to potentially break into the league absolutely play in your role star in your role do what needs to be done get it out the mud like you've seen from Jimmy in these finals and and, and commit to playing team basketball I couldn't have said any of that better myself Kevin, I know you've been listening to a lot of finals talk. You've been listening to a lot of talk about your Miami Heat. Do you potentially have any final words for your boys? I mean, I think my final words are just that, like, even though we're probably going to lose tonight, I'm still proud of them. I mean, who would have predicted Miami to make it here, right? Everybody thought uh, Giannis was going to come out of the East. Everybody thought Toronto was going to come out of the East. Boston was going to come out of the East. No one predicted us, so I'm just proud that we got here. We're a young team. Even if we don't win this year, which we're probably not going to, we're going to be around for a while. We have a young team. I have a lot of faith in us. Yeah, that that's I I think I think that pretty much sums it up. Well, well done, Miami, for at the very least making it this far. Whether it ends in in Game Five, Game Six, e- even if you come back and somehow win the championship in seven games, I mean, re- regardless of what happens after this pod, well, well done, Miami. Um, all, all all the credit, hats off, go to you guys. You're, you, Kevin's right. Not a lot of people pick them to make it this far but it's a testament to hard work. It's a testament to belief in one another, trusting the process better than, better than Philly did. <laughs> Absolutely. But and one, one thing on that, just, I think one thing we've really forgotten is that going into this season, everyone was going like, what is Jimmy Butler doing joining Miami? Like why they have nothing. Like the talk for the last two years was how that 2021 Miami pick that uh, I think Phoenix had or Phoenix have or have traded that that was one of the most valuable assets in the NBA because how would Miami ever be a good team in 2021 and you look at that a year later and you can see how a strong organizational foundation means that you are never more than a year or two away and a couple good draft picks and a good free agent acquisition away if you have that structural stability in place from doing what Miami did this year. Absolutely, absolutely. A lot of a lot of teams need to be taking notes as, as to what Miami has done and will continue to do. I have my 76ers rant coming at, at, at some point. <laughs> I, I have the guest in mind. I have the perfect guy to come on and do it who's going to bring that journalistic integrity, but he's probably going to be about as fired up to talk about a lot of the Philly stuff as I am. So trust me, that that's coming. But I love it. Can I, I pull the question for you, Nate? You sure can. Go right ahead. Are you happy with Doc Rivers as your coach? Oh Ooh. God, are we really are we gonna do this now? Ooh. I, uh, you don't have to give a long answer. I just want to know because if I was a seventy sixes fan, I wouldn't be. If we if we leave this just to the coach, just to the Doc Rivers hire, I I actually do like it just just from the standpoint of I I was telling you and I've told many of our friends all year long in private conversations about the seventy sixers. That that team, they, they just need a grown-up. They need a grown-up to come in and, and flat out yell at some of these guys and, and, and hold them accountable for the hard work that they have to come in and put in every single day for the trials and tribulations that they have to endure through every single game, an 82-game season. They just need people to hold them accountable. There, there is nothing to me that, that has been really that wrong with, with Philly's talent. And, Jacob, I'm absolutely going to let you cut, cut in here. Um, in a second to give your thoughts on, on that perspective. But to, to me, it was never really a question of talent. The, the 76ers have about as much talent as you can ask for on a winning basketball team. A lot of people wanted to make big deals about their three-point shooting while they don't have or, or didn't have a ton of guys that can dribble, dribble, kind of step into their own shot from three. They have so many guys on that team that can catch and shoot and, and, and make an open three. I think a lot of it was more about schematically, offensively, the types of plays and the type of offense that, that Brett Brown put into place. And, and by no means am I going to slander Brett. I think he's a great guy. Um, I think he absolutely deserved the shot that he got. He deserved to stay on with that team and get his chance to, to coach uh, a well-organized playoff team. 
Um, well, whether the, the organization part came into play with the front office, some of the choices they made, that that's a whole um, different debate. But Brett deserved this chance. It, it didn't work. It's over. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure he's probably relieved in some ways to, to be out of that situation and out, out of the, the daily questions of when will Joel Embiid get in shape? When is Ben Simmons going to shoot more threes? Um, I, I think he's relieved in that aspect. So, yeah, I, I'm glad that they, they ultimately went a different direction in hiring um, a head coach. I'm, I'm glad that it's someone like Doc who isn't going to take anybody's crap. He, he's a very mature, responsible head coach who's going to hold people accountable. He, he's absolutely open to the team that he has. He's come out and said that now in quotes. He wants to work with the guys that he has. You know, he doesn't want to make any wholesale changes. And I think that's important because I, I've said to so many people throughout the years that Embiid and Simmons can work together. It's about how they play together. Like not, not running them in pick and rolls uh, n- nearly as much as they should be bl- absolutely blows my mind. They could be one of the best pick and roll duos in the league up there with a pairing like LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, a fair point. I am of the opinion after kind of digging, cause I think both you're right. The talent wise Embiid and Ben Simmons are two of the most talented players. Like they both have the potential to be top 10 players in the NBA or even greater than that. However, the more I see them together, the more I think they are contrasting styles and they are stepping on each other's toes. And I understand as a Philly fan, you need to be optimistic because (laughs) you've invested. I mean, you know, the process now we're in like what year seven, year eight, a lot's been invested. There's been a lot of losing to get the players you have now. And you don't want to just lose them as well, the way you lost guys like Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor, who were just wastes of talent. But I think you need to commit to one of them, honestly. I think part of the problem is that they play such contrasting styles. And I would I would go with Ben Simmons, honestly. I think there's a whole system that you could build around Ben Simmons, like a kind of a mix between a four-out and a five-out system with Ben Simmons working both in the post and in that Giannis role, dribbling at the top of the key. I think there is something to be built there. And I do not trust Embiid. As much as I think he's m- more hardworking, he is has more of those intangibles that I don't see as much with Ben Simmons. Maybe I'm buying into the uh, betting on talent thing that we were saying earlier, but I still bet on Ben Simmons to be that player. And I don't think that they can really build that this year. But... Doc Rivers has a lot of rope and I think he at least wants to see a year with these two players and see if he can make something happen. And he he probably can because he is a good coach and he will probably hold them more accountable than Brett Brown did because that's something that seems to have come out of this whole thing that they weren't really being held accountable and that really pissed off Jimmy Butler. But yeah, I don't think this is going to work long term, honestly. I think you need to lean into a style and stick with it and really build around it the way Milwaukee has with Giannis. I'm going to have, I'm, I'm hell. I'm going to have you on the talk about the Sixers. Cause I think we could absolutely do a, a full deep dive podcast on, on my <laughs> thoughts on them. Cause there's a lot to be dissected um, with, with Simmons and beat and, and everything in between at that point um, for that basketball team. But the, the very roundabout way to answer your question, Kevin, I think Jacob and I have both agreed on, yes, the, the Doc Rivers is going to be a good hire. I'm glad you answered that question about which one would you take, Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. You don't got to sell me on Simmons. I've been, I, I've been a Simmons um, supporter since he came into the league. I, I evaluated him when he was coming out of college, even though he, he went number one. He was the number one guy on a lot of people's boards. I, I still didn't think, and I, I don't think now, that the, the, the choice between him and Ingram, although Ingram did a lot to be the most improved player, I would have voted him most improved um, the, the, this year in the NBA. But the, the debate at the draft time between him and Simmons shouldn't really have, have been as much of a debate as it was. Simmons was a talent that was misused to an egregious level at, at LSU. Like we talk about now, we want him to shoot. It was getting to the point where they literally had him standing in the corner, not doing anything with the basketball acting as sort of like a, a quasi spot up threat when we know that he, he doesn't, he wasn't going to shoot then if he's not shooting now. So I, I don't know what they were thinking with some of the stuff they had him doing in college, but yeah, he, he's a special, special, special talent. He still has a ways to go. 
development-wise, even though we might not think so. And call me crazy, I still think Philly's future is incredibly bright, and, and they'll be back next year. So I, I think that wraps up the show for this week. Jacob, it was a pleasure to have you on this week. Where can listeners find you and, and your work online along with along with Brett and Steve stuff? Well, you can, um, guys, if you want to come listen to us, subscribe to the Overstated NBA show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we have a weekly one with myself, Steve, and Brett, where we just kind of shoot the shit about what's been happening or we'll discuss topics, some mixture of current and evergreen. And then I also do on either a Thursday or a Friday, depending on when I get it, uh, I get the script done, uh, solo pod on that same feed um, by the numbers basketball, where I just finished a series on the greatest teams ever, which took a long, long time. <laughs> so please give it a listen. And yeah, come join our Facebook group where I post daily stat stuff and database work that I've been working on. Brett posts um, his writing. He's a wonderful writer. Um, and soon you'll be able to find all of that on theoverstated.com where I'm going to have a huge range of historical player and team databases and articles there for people to check out. We will have draft stuff eventually. Obviously, we want to get yourself on <laughs> for that draft, Pod Nathan, because I am so fascinated by the draft. As being a Brit, we don't have anything like this in Britain, in British sports, and I, I love it. I love the draft, and I love hearing about it and hearing about these prospects because it's just it's such an interesting thing for me. It's so unique, unique to America. And I really enjoy it. And I can't wait to get you on to our pod to talk about that. And yeah, and yeah, love to be back. It's been great fun. Everyone listening out there, please, please, please go and support them. They are incredible individuals. They are smart. I'm glad that you guys are doing what you're doing as far as the podcast, as far as the website, because people like you, deserve to have a voice in this industry you deserve to have your breakout like the starters that's kind of what i what i see you guys being it's what i compare you guys to but you guys are awesome i'm so glad to have had you on as a guest brett as a guest um earlier in this podcast season steve i don't know hopefully we can find steve maybe if he's not too too busy taking care of the twins maybe we can get steve on here um he, 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 he's a he, busy man absolutely so um everyone out there thank you so much for subscribing stay tuned to everything we're doing on our feeds on youtube follow us on twitter at draft deeper like our facebook page and, and double check your describe for some more awesome pods coming in the very near future have a great week everyone